So you probably are aware by now that we use Anchor.fm here on this podcast for COVID-19 PPC. And I wanted to tell you about Anchor.fm because this is actually the second uh, podcast hosting software I've used. And um, I really like it. I love how easy it is to use. I love the fact that it's free. And they have so many tools here like music and all these different options that help you record and edit your podcast either from your phone or your PC or your computer. And then Anchor distributes your podcast for you so that it can be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And then also you can even make money from your podcast with minimum, with no minimum listenership. And it's all you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're new to podcasting and you're interested in um, getting started, I recommend Anchor.fm. So what you can do is download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started um, that's my recommendation. And, um, you know, after almost a year of podcasting, I'm really glad I found Anchor just recently. It just makes things so much easier. And, uh, yeah, come check out anchor.fm. Welcome to COVID-19, Public Health Policy and Culture. I'm Dr. April Moreno, presenting information from various sources about the COVID-19 pandemic from public health policy and cultural perspectives. We will be sharing international accounts from policy, public health response, and even personal experiences firsthand about living in this era of COVID-19. Hello and welcome to this episode of COVID-19, Public Health Policy and Culture. I'm your host, Dr. April Moreno, and we are getting into the end of August now. And I wanted to share a few updates as it relates to the podcast. We've been doing really good in terms of interviewing some really amazing individuals who have very insightful information to share with us from a public health perspective, a policy perspective, and even a cultural perspective. Sometimes it's a combination of all three of those, which maybe all of them are. Um, I'm going to enjoy my beer here today to celebrate the fact that we've had a really good time interviewing and, and working on this podcast, especially in this season of the pandemic. My original plan was for this podcast to only last for about six months. So in addition to my already existing podcast, The Sisterhood of Limitless Living for Autoimmune Women Thriving, when the pandemic arrived, I thought that it would be a really good idea to document as almost like a cultural artifact what's going on around the world as it relates to the pandemic. And I thought it was just going to be pretty temporary. So in addition to all the stuff I've already been doing, I just went ahead and added it on to my schedule because it seemed important, very timely. And also I thought it was going to be a very short term project. You know, sometimes I just sign up for a bunch of different things. I love to do so many things, which is why, for example, this podcast covers three topics, not just one, right? It covers public health, policy, and culture, putting all of those together. So I thought it was going to be pretty short term. It looks like this pandemic's going to be around in our lives for a while to come. My estimation is that we're only about halfway through this journey. My estimation is that until we find a vaccine, that we're going to be dealing with this at a very local level. We're going to still be dealing with this with the assumption that it is in our community. 
Remember the days when we didn't have to worry about community transmission earlier in the year, or we weren't aware of community transmission, but now we are. And I make the assumption every time I pick something up from the mail, every time I get my groceries, I make the assumption that there is COVID-19 virus on any of these surfaces. That's how local we have to perceive this virus to be. All of this to say that I'm going to be slowing down the frequency of the podcast. I considered actually stopping it all together, but I can't because I'm enjoying this this conversation way too much. I'm enjoying this podcast way too much. And so we're going to be slowing it down to twice a month. We're going to be working on a episode at the end of each month that's kind of a news roundup as it relates to public health policy and culture with a summary and a bit of commentary as it relates to public health in particular culture and policy and then at the beginning of the month or so we're going to be interviewing individuals. I am really excited that we had the opportunity to interview Kristen Urquiza recently. To know that she ended up on the Democratic National Convention is amazing. I am very proud of her. I am so impressed with her. The fact that she got the word out there to the national level and the world level, the importance of understanding that this pandemic is beyond politics. It really upset me at the beginning of the pandemic when individuals were commenting their belief that the pandemic was a purely political strategy, a political motive. And to think that we're so self-centered in the United States to think that something that's happening in Asia is all about us, all about our election, something that is a medical concern, something that is a public health concern was reduced to politics. Yeah, I just have to mention that. I was just really shocked culturally as a person in the United States to see that some of us were so myopic that individuals would think that an international pandemic had everything to do with our political election. Yeah, I wanted to just share that information with you today about these upcoming episodes. So this one is for the end of August. This one's going to be a roundup of some of the news stories that we've seen, just kind of referencing them so that we have documentation, culturally policy related and public health related about the different things that are going on. And then at the beginning of the month, I will have another interview to share. We are now at the main reason that this is changing is because there have been definite changes in what's going on over here. I've just been so excited about the nonprofit organization that's finally official, the Autoimmune Community Institute. That's my primary focus at the moment and getting that organization off the ground, building community building awareness that needs to be done out there. So if you are impacted by autoimmunity, please contact us, consider a donation, or find out how you can participate with us in our community. It's called the Autoimmune Community Institute, and our website is acicommunity.org. I hope you enjoy this episode about the news roundup. I'm going to continue to drink my Lagunitas IPA here, enjoy my summer drink. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of COVID-19, Public Health Policy and Culture. This is the August News Roundup for 2020. And we're going to be talking about some of the local news as well as some of the policy news today. Uh, Here in San Diego, we are looking at as of August the 20th, the end of August, 
we are at 35,439 confirmed cases of COVID-19. We've had 638 deaths in the county. In California as a whole, it's been 647,000 cases confirmed and 11,686 deaths. That's quite a lot. I mean, I don't have a scale of relativity, but I mean, that's significant as we think about how people have framed this as a hoax over time. And it just, oh, public health, oh, public health. So, and then nationally and internationally, we were looking at 5.5 million cases in the United States and 173,000 deaths. And then worldwide, we have seen 22.4 million cases. I love this, that there's a recovered I don't know the details of what recovered officially means, but they've got 14.3 million recovered individuals, which is good to know, very promising, I guess. But, you know, long-term symptoms and effects do continue. And then there have been 788,000 deaths around the world. These are reported according to Google News. So today I wanted to talk about some of the current articles in this monthly roundup, looking nationally or even locally first. We have a great article that came out on the 19th yesterday here, where they actually have listed the underlying conditions that are related to health risk. So this is headlined is called the eight riskiest underlying health conditions for COVID-19 in San Diego County. And it's from 10news.com. High blood pressure was cited in 50% of deaths. I have high blood pressure. That sucks. So number one on this list of where victims had at least one underlying condition, 50% of deaths were related to high blood pressure, hypertension. 35% of the deaths were related to diabetes, I assume type 2. 31% for cardiac disease. Number four on their list was dementia and Alzheimer's, where 27% of the individuals who died in the county of San Diego had dementia or Alzheimer's as their pre-existing condition, their underlying condition. Number six on that scale was COPD and asthma at 13% of deaths. Obesity is number seven at 8% of COVID-related deaths and their underlying conditions. Number eight was the immunocompromised, of which I'm part of. 5% of deaths were connected to immunocompromised status. At number nine, 4% of deaths were related to no underlying condition. 4% is not a huge number, not a huge percent, but consider the fact that people do die without underlying conditions. There was a story about two or three weeks ago in the city of Claremont. I don't know the details exactly completely, but it was a teenager. It was a high school student who had died from COVID-19. There's a few other examples around the country around the world where we're seeing young people dying, healthy, otherwise healthy people, children dying from the virus. So there's no clear rule. There's no guarantee that when you're healthy, you are invincible to the virus. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is from wcvb.com. I'm not exactly sure. Let me see if I can get a city here. Boston. So this one is a study released from Mass General Hospital. And it says that children may play a large role in spreading COVID-19 because many won't show symptoms. So once again, from what we saw in the San Diego data set, 4% of the individuals who died had no 
pre-existing condition. I would love to know the age range. Maybe that's another data set that I can dig up somewhere from the county, possibly, maybe. But, you know, with all the recent school openings in the past couple of weeks, we are seeing an increase in the number of those who have been infected. And there, again, is no guarantee that a child is going to be invincible to the virus. So this article really stood out for me as something I wanted to talk about and mention. So this study, dated August 20th today, released overnight from Mass General Hospital, finds that children may play a large role in spreading COVID-19 because they won't show symptoms. Researchers had tested 192 kids for coronavirus at Mass General Hospital. 49 tested positive of the 192. 18 had late-onset late onset coronavirus-related illness. Most of them didn't have any symptoms. Those that did had runny nose, cough, or slight fever. So nothing severe, really. So in episode 22, we talked to Olivia of Public Health for the Culture podcast, and she talked to us about multi-system inflammatory syndrome that they've found in children who were infected with COVID-19. This is a rare, but it is a serious health condition. So just wanted to mention that again, that kids are not, youth are not invincible to the virus. With this virus, we are actually really concerned about the coming cold season, the fall and the winter. We are looking at the combination as a concern, as they mentioned as well in this article from wcvb.com, kids may play a large role in spreading COVID-19, that we're going to be worried about flu plus COVID in the coming months. So that's a concern. So it looks like in Massachusetts, the Department of Public Health announced that most children will require a flu shot. So that's another article I wanted to talk about. Then the third one actually is very similarly related. This one is from the New York Times. This one is updated eight minutes ago. Wow, okay. And again, today's the 20th. COVID-19 live updates. The U.S. takes steps to protect older people from flu season and increase child vaccination rates. There's some great bullet points here on this. It's the coronavirus outbreak updates from the New York Times. Oh, by the way, the U.S. Virgin Islands has halted tourism. You know, in I think the last episode, we talked about some of the places that the United States is able to visit. Well, within our own country, I don't even know if we're able to travel to the Virgin Islands because of tourism restrictions. Florida has become the fifth state to cross a threshold, a grim threshold, more than 10,000 deaths related to the virus. U.S. health agencies announced moves to confront the flu season and plummeting child vaccination rates. Okay, so yeah, that's a concern, right? We've seen a lot in the past year or two about the anti-vaccine movements as well. And from a public health perspective, that's not something that we can afford to play around with. So a high-dose flu shot is going to be recommended for people 65 and over. It's going to guard against four strains of the virus for the flu. The Department of Health and Human Services nationally is giving permission to pharmacists around the country to administer all scheduled shots to children as young as three years old, including measles boosters. So immunization is going to be more convenient for parents. The flu vaccine will also be available as an option. So basically, that's just what this news article is saying. We are concerned with the confluence of the flu and COVID-19 in the coming months ahead in the fall. And finally, the fourth article I wanted to talk about today is USA Today. This is dated today as well. There's been a lot of backlash. There's been a lot 
of negativity surrounding public health agencies and the work that they've been doing to share the message of protection, to talk about social distancing and reducing interaction in public. Administrators who have shared data related to, I mean, incidents of COVID-19 infection and death rates. There have been individuals who have been asked to modify data. There have been individuals who have been asked not to share these rates. There have been individuals who have left and quit their jobs, for example, in Orange County and in other locations. Public health is a concern. Public health agencies are embattled and they're at risk at the moment as individuals see public health as a political response, which it really is not. We are looking at human life. We are looking regardless of affiliation. That's not a question that's asked at a clinic. They might ask you if you have insurance, but they're likely not going to ask you who you vote for in determining whether or not you deserve care, in determining whether or not you really have the virus or not. Maybe, you know, thinking that, assuming that someone would get denied because of their affiliation would make no sense because politics and medicine are two different things. Life is life and the virus doesn't care about your affiliation. So this story just kind of goes into the background of how miscommunication and selfishness has hampered the response. This is a huge example at this time of how we are not being looked to as an example of anything at the moment. The United States represents only 4% of the world's population, but we represent 22% of all deaths related to COVID. We represent about a quarter of all COVID-19 cases around the world. This is a textbook example of how to do it wrong, according to Dr. William Schaffner, an infectious disease specialist at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. We have disjointed national response. As we talked to Dr. Michelle Dickinson back in episode 16, the strategy to control the virus is actually not that complicated. It's really as simple as a unified response, social distancing, wearing the mask, and it would actually make a huge change in the numbers as we've seen in different countries. But because we can't seem to have a unified response in the United States, we are facing these huge numbers. So this is what some of this article is telling us, that we don't have a sense of community, that we're more about the I than the we in the United States. There's a lot of skepticism about the government and their directives, according to this article. And then there was a comparison between South Korea and the United States. We both had our first infections of COVID-19 around the same time back in January. But Korea, South Korea, has reduced their outbreak 30 cases per 100,000 people, where we're looking at 1,655 cases reported per 100,000 people. And New Zealand, they had actually gone 100 days without detecting a single example of community spread. Other countries as well, like in Vietnam, for example, Thailand, I believe. Other countries that don't make the news are handling this much better than we are in the United States. We have surpassed 5 million cases, as I mentioned earlier. 160,000 have died from the virus. Countries like South Korea and Denmark have removed nearly all coronavirus-related restrictions. Imagine the day. We've done it, but we've done it without regard for existing cases and infection rates pretty much brought us back into March levels of risk. A strategy is actually very simple. It's that shared message. It's the wearing of the mask and it's the social distancing. So it is disappointing. It is really disappointing. 
So there's an independent research and advisory division of Journal Foreign Policy called Foreign Policy Analytics. They have done an examination of various metrics to determine the performance of various nations in COVID response. Apparently, we are doing quite poorly, no surprise. And let me see here, I can click on this matrix, this scale of global response, this index. Globalresponseindex.foreignpolicy.com. It's the COVID-19 Global Response Index. It's a country-by-country -country assessment of government responses to the pandemic. All right, so we are definitely not in the top five. At the top five of this Global Response Index, we've got New Zealand. Then we've got Senegal, Denmark, Iceland, Saudi Arabia, and Belgium. We are not up there in terms of COVID response controlling this virus. Of the 36 countries, the index rated the United States 31st, ahead of only Indonesia, Turkey, Mexico, Iran, and China. The last of which rated worst of all primarily because of its lack of in economic intervention and poor transparency. So China was the last on the scale of 36 countries in rating their response to the pandemic, and we are 30 first out of 36. So yeah, we are an international disaster, unfortunately. This is a great article. It's actually very layered and very detailed, this USA Today article. It goes into various quotes from various public health policy and management professors, and then it talks about this international scale of pandemic response, and then even some of the cultural reasons for why we are hampered in our COVID-19 response in the United States. Actually, of all the four news articles I've shared with you today, I think this USA Today one is the much uh, more layered version, the much more layered interpretation or description of what's happening at the current moment. So I highly recommend taking a look at this. But if not, I've pretty much already given you a breakdown of what this news story is saying. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the news roundup for COVID-19, public health policy and culture. We've talked a little bit about the culture of American exceptionalism. We've talked about public health and a lot of the backlash that we're seeing politically out there in terms of public health individuals trying to contain this virus and individuals seeing it as a political stunt, unfortunately. And then we've also talked a little bit about policy as it relates to foreign policy foreign strategies or international strategies to contain the virus and how we're doing as we look at this control of COVID-19. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of COVID-19 Public Health Policy and Culture. Would love to know what you think of this news roundup for the month of August. I would love feedback because this is a new segment. This is a new section in our podcast. And I plan to do this once a month at the end of each month so we can kind of talk about the different things that have happened over the past month in terms of events of culture, policy, and public health. We'll see you again at the beginning of September when we interview our next individual who is going to be sharing about what the pandemic has been like in their side of the world. you enjoyed this episode if you have any questions any burning questions about COVID-19 feel free to send me a message in anchor anchor.fm slash COVID-19 PPC is our website and until next time stay well and take good care out there <laughs>